Very excited, uh, everyone, to bring to you uh, an interview with writer, director, stunt coordinator. Uh, fun little uh, twist in there as well. Uh, BJ Vero. Uh, BJ, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, here on on the Cast of Cthulhu. And, and then when I say us, I mean me. James is uh, is sadly predisposed uh, today or, or preoccupied. But thank you for at least joining me and the listeners on this episode. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me out. Um, so, oh God, I love the Canadian accent. The oot. Sorry, it's it's. <laughs> it's I'll, I'll never get tired of that. I don't think. But, um, so, uh, we we preface that that you are going to be joining us. That you are uh, a filmmaker most most uh, relevant to this conversation, or or I guess this podcast. The short you did, Echoes in the Ice. Um, and then you know, you, you've got a feature film coming up, The Returns, so, though. But before we get into any of that, I kind of want to start at the, at the beginning. If you could talk a little bit about your filmmaking journey, kind of what you, how you kind of started into that. If there was a, you know, and that could be even as simple as, oh, when I was a kid, I saw Jurassic Park and I knew this was what I wanted to do. But just talk a little bit about your filmmaking journey. I'm always fascinated by anyone who's like, you know what, I'm going to pursue this as a full-time career because it's uh, something I have not been able to uh, bring work up the, the gall to try. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely uh, an interesting choice when you when you decide you're gonna start making films. But uh, <laughs> I think I knew pretty early on that I wanted to work in uh, film, primarily as a as a director, but only because you know I want to tell my stories and uh, like who better to tell my own stories than me, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> from my five, six, seven year old perspective. Um, I think uh, I was pretty lucky. My parents were pretty liberal, and they let me watch a lot of films that most kids couldn't uh, when they were younger. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that that had an impact on on shaping me as, as who I am as a person and what I wanted to do because I distinctly remember watching, um, I think it was aliens. I probably saw aliens before I saw alien. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I was young enough that I was watching these things and I thought they were really cool, but like it hadn't really like dawned on me yet that it's just an army of people that all come together and, and make it happen. And when, when I discovered like, Whoa, you can do that as a job. Like I can grow up and do that. <laughs> I mean, I think I was in trouble from that point on, I think. <laughs> But uh, so fast forward, I took uh, I took film in university here in Winnipeg, Canada, where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And uh, around that time, um, I kind of started uh, while I was in university, I was already working on set uh, in some capacity. I, I had a pretty good technical background, like I was getting hired as a camera operator locally or lighting, that kind of thing. And at, around the same time, um, I was also getting involved in the stunt community here for film and television. So I kind of had these like you know, two, two paths that were kind of running parallel where I, you know, I was, I was working as a filmmaker and I was also working in stunts, mm -hmm. uh, which I still do today. Um, so, uh, I started I, around 2014, 15, I made the decision I'm, I'm going narrative because, you know, a lot of folks make documentaries because, you know, the stories are very accessible mm -hmm. and you can kind of, you can make it your own, but I, and, and I was doing them too. I was just chasing things that I found of interest, but Around that time, I just decided, like, if I want to do narrative stories, I got to dive in headfirst and just and make it happen. So since then, so since about 2014, 15, I've done about seven shorts and a feature film now. Mm -hmm. And uh, and here we are today. So uh, around 2017, I made Echoes in the Ice, the film that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And that screened at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, uh, Toronto After Dark, Holly Shorts, uh, Film Quest, or sorry, not Film Quest. Um, but it got a lot of love anyways on the genre film festival circuit and now it's available on dust. So if you go to, uh, dust on YouTube, you can check it out there. Uh, and I would highly encourage everyone to do it. If you have not already checked it out on our Facebook page, it will also be included in the show notes. So you have no excuse. Um, so, so I guess tell me about horror. What got you into that? Because I know, 
Um, you, you mentioned, you know, your parents kind of being liberal and letting you watch a whole lot of stuff you probably right. shouldn't have. For me, I know my parents, I was a latchkey kid growing up, so, and also my parents were older, so they weren't really aware of kind of what was in the pop culture zeitgeist as to what was appropriate and not, so I probably watched a lot of stuff I shouldn't have. Right. But I, I always found myself that even if something terrified me, I had to turn, and I had to change the channel. I, I've, I've told this story, I think a few times on here, but just watching the exorcist on tv for the first time and as soon as the spider walk scene started i immediately had to change the channel because i couldn't handle it but then my brain was kind of saying like go go back and check out what's going on there you have to know right but what happened yeah so so, i mean so what what was it about horror that kind of first got you into it and and that that drew you to that to actually dedicate the time and effort instead of just you know romantic comedies or documentaries or something else Oh, that's great. Actually, I, I think you've really touched on uh, on a, a very important aspect of, of horror in general. I was the same way. And maybe it's because we were watching this stuff when we were really young. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was movies every once in a while, like my parents would bring home and I couldn't watch it. And, uh, you know, I'd make my mom give me like a full report the next morning. I'd be like, okay, so what happened? Like who lived? Like, you know, and because I had to know, I hadn't even seen some of these films. Yep. And, and, you know, I, I basically got like a review summary from my mom or my dad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, eventually it's the same way. If I saw something and I was scared, it's like, even if I had to turn away, I still needed to go back and face that and revisit it. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think it's just something that's, uh, you know, it's uh, innate in, in fans that are, are fans of horror. Mm-hmm. And um, t- to answer your question about why not romantic comedies, because uh, <laughs> I'm just not programmed that way. So as soon as I latched <laughs> onto the horror, I knew that was that was the right fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, sci-fi, horror, action, all, all really fun stuff. Comedy too, but... Yeah. Um, I, I, and to go back to some of the shorts that I did, um, I started kind of in, in comedies. I was doing these like 48 hour film festival or sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Where you make a film in 48 hours sure, yeah. and then it's at a festival. And as luck had it, the very first one I did, um, it, it, it actually did, did really well. This was a really weird, uh, comedy on race walking, you know, the Olympic sport of, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sure. so it was like a mockumentary weird kind of narrative following all the different characters that are racing and, uh, where I'm from in Canada, we uh, our our main channel is called CBC, mm-hmm. and it got onto that show. So they took nine filmmakers across Canada, and uh, as luck had it, we won the show. So so we won a, a prize to make 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 another short and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But and I, I really like doing comedy and quirky weird stuff. But around 2016, uh, I was dipping my toes in the horror because one, I wanted to get more involved in VFX. I come from stunts, so I wanted to start doing a little bit more stunts. I wanted to cater to a skill set that I think would be complementary to the type of films that I, I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's when I took that I took that shift. And Echoes in the Ice was a short film that I used as a portfolio piece, which in in the long run got me my first feature film financing because I had something to show that had a lot of the effects in it. So I wasn't just some guy running his mouth being like, oh, and it's going to have like this <laughs> this ghost and we're going to do like all this crazy stuff. I, now I have something that I could show people that they go, oh, OK, cool. Yeah, he can he can hack that. So mm-hmm. um, so I'm now in that lane uh, and I like it. So I, I don't think I'm going to deviate too much for now. Eventually, I, I wouldn't mind maybe, you know, jumping into the comedy again or a little bit or even like a horror comedy because I, I like doing the genre stuff anyway. Mm. But um, but for now, I'm starting to get some traction and there's when you have traction that can lean, uh, you know, lend itself to getting money to make your next project. Sure. So I'm um, chase that and keep going. Mm. Stunts. I, I want to, I, I do want, I am, I have a curiosity about that. I mean, what yeah, everybody does. Yeah, well, what, what lends it? I mean, were you just the kid that like in high school, it's like, Oh sure. I'll, I'll jump off the roof onto this mattress. Like, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, 
a lot of people think that stunt work is a lot like being a daredevil, but it's it's interesting because the big difference is with stunt work, you try to do it as ma- you want to do it in a way that's safe enough that you can do it six, seven, eight times if need be. Sure. You probably don't want to, <laughs> but at least you've, you've you've covered enough of the technical aspects that you're you're mitigating your risk while still making it look dangerous. Mm-hmm. And some sometimes there's no way around it. Sometimes you're just you're just eating bumps, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I always loved jumping fences and like doing all kinds of stuff. I used to compete in judo and I feel like that is a great base for stunt work because you are just taught how to fall like clean on your back. And once you know how to fall good on your back, now you can start making it look sloppy and dangerous and, mm-hmm. uh, that helps a lot. So, um, when they offered this course in university and the, it, where, again, where I'm from in Manitoba, the, the head stunt coordinator was running the course. <laughs> I really applied myself and I tried really hard and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't as busy here in Winnipeg back then, but it's we've really had a huge boost since our we have uh, a tax credit system here that's really really good. Sure. And because of that, a lot more work has come, and, and it's been really busy the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. So it's been really good. I mean, when people think of production, especially in Canada, everyone thinks of Toronto. That's like the major hub, and and, and a lot of times uh, American productions are going to shoot in Toronto and pretend it's New York City or pretend it's LA because it's just cheaper. So is there yeah. outside of of Toronto, like in Manitoba or even in like um, Alberta and Edmonton or other places that are kind of like a, a chip on the shoulder where it's like, well, we can do this stuff too. You know, there might've been a, like a little while ago. Um, like, I don't know if a chip on the shoulder is the, the right way to phrase it, but people coming into town mm-hmm. have that mentality where they're like, well, this isn't Toronto and that's not even LA. So like, what are you guys able to do? So <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the shit runs downhill maybe a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, like I said, we, we've had this huge boost with the tax credits. We have Vancouver on the West Coast, yeah. Toronto, kind of center Canada, and we're kind of like smack dab in the middle. Mm-hmm. And um, because of these tax credits, though, um, it's becoming very, very lucrative for uh, American financiers and producers and even some of the big hitters now like Netflix and Amazon are setting up shop here because it's becoming so so much more optimal with mm-hmm. what they can do with their budget. Right. So it's, it's it's a good place to be right now. And, uh, and for someone like me who produces – 90% of their own work mm-hmm. and I write my own stuff like I can I can essentially get a grassroots movement off the ground for my projects and take it head on. Winnipeg is is a is um it's not just Guy Madden anymore ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a there's a, actually there's a lot of really good filmmakers coming up right now and I think it's a byproduct of of uh of the industry that we're working in right now. You're just seeing a lot of talent come mm-hmm. out of Winnipeg and it's it's awesome. It's a good place to be. Right. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Lovecraft because with Echoes in the Ice, I mean, this is not just a, a short work where some people have been like, oh, it's got some Lovecraftian vibes. Like you yourself even describe it as as Lovecraftian. So even H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft, what was your what was your first exposure to him, and what and what sort of drew you into this world and this writer instead of you know someone else? Yeah, well, I guess. Uh... To to get to H.P. Lovecraft, I first started with Robert E. Howard. I was a big Conan the Barbarian fan, and mm. you know, coming from that pulp era, and you know, finding out who you know Robert E. Howard was friends with, and all that kind of stuff. I just naturally explored other people around him, and then I came on H.P. Lovecraft, and uh, I really liked his stuff because it was always like brooding, and there's always things going on in the background, and and I also found it very interesting that a lot that a lot of the stories had to deal with things um, that you couldn't exactly deal with, uh, you know, head on, you know, a lot of it is like, you know, even some of the stuff that you see could, could rend your mind to, to shreds. <laughs> so it's such, it's such a delicate terrain to be, to be navigating. And, and I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, once, once I got on Lovecraft, I just, I really liked that idea of just like ancient, 
ancient gods sleeping and, um, you know, to view a Shoggoth would just just destroy your psyche and all, all kinds of cool stuff like that. Yeah, that, that stuff that just sort of exists right on the periphery and that's kind of where it's safe because once you're exposed to it, everything is different, whether it's yourself or the reality that you know. I, I found that fascinating. Yeah, do, something do, is the same. Do, do you remember maybe what even what the first story you might have read was? Man, ah, jeez. You know what? Um, let, me, let me ponder on that one a little bit. Sure. I feel like it probably would have been... I don't know. If I had to guess, I, it probably would have been Shadow Over Innsmouth, which I think was a pretty good introduction to it anyway. So, um, yeah, it touches on a lot. I think a lot of his, like, you know, key concepts and how he likes to explore his his mythos. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that, yeah, that was I can't remember. I feel like I've maybe contradicted myself on this podcast a couple times in the sense of saying which one was my first one that I ever read. But I think Shadow Over Innsmouth was the first one that I read that was like, this is my favorite one. I, I love what this one is doing. Color Out of Space would be would be uh, another one. So when it came to, when it comes to Echoes in the Ice, talk a little bit about what the genesis of that idea was, what inspired you to sort of like, this is something I'm going to start writing down now and, and really want to put my effort, my time and my money into. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's, it's funny because um, the very first seed of Echoes in the Ice was me just saying like, I want to do something Lovecraftian. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what that is yet, but I want to do something Lovecraftian. And it's <laughs> going to be difficult because, like I said, a lot of it stems from the unknown and... Uh, you know, it's not just like zombies running down a corridor, you know, so a lot of it comes down to like psychology of, of how your characters react to stuff. And um, so uh, there was a, a film festival called Dead North Film Festival in uh, Northwest Territories, Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, way up north in Canada. <laughs> and um, I was I'm not much of a, like I don't really DOP a lot of stuff, but uh, I got asked to DOP a short film in Whitehorse, Yukon, which is like way north of. British Columbia, Vancouver, basically. <laughs> and while I was there, I saw an article in, in Vice about that Dead North Film Festival. And the way it works is you submit a concept, and if you're approved, you have to make that film for that festival. Oh. So it was kind of like my call to action where I was like, okay, I got to get it done. Um, and I needed to submit at the at the beginning of the year, January 1st, I think it was. So I think I, I think I literally wrote the whole thing on, or, on Boxing Day or the day after Boxing Day. <laughs> And it's weird because a lot of times I'll find that I have to like go back and reconfigure some stuff, but that one just really flowed nicely. I wanted an abandoned research station so that I could really uh, tonally build a nice atmosphere that surrounds these characters and, and just have this well just kind of like chew its way through these people one at a time. And, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted it to be an insulated story that, that could stand on its own, which I think it does for the most part. But I also wanted to use it as a proof of concept. We could almost look at it as a prologue to like a greater story. Sure. And when I was watching it, I was, I was really reminded of, uh, you know, it's got a little bit of the thing in there and, you know, maybe even a little bit of aliens and a little bit of event horizon. Then then when I was thinking about all that stuff, I was thinking like, well, what it's gotten here is just this larger theme of a group of people trying to uncover something that is really it's bad if they do that because of, of what this door opens for you. And so was that kind of the, the intro way of it is like, here's I guess this is a roundabout way of saying when it comes to the idea of a Lovecraftian story or a Lovecraftian film, James and I talk about this every time we, an episode comes out as to what makes a film Lovecraftian or what makes a story Lovecraftian. So to you, what was it when you say, I wanted to make something Lovecraftian, what was it that you knew you kind of wanted to include in, in like the core pillars of a story you were telling? Yeah, I think I think the one thing that I was, I was really trying to capture was for each of these different each of these four characters, I, if I had more time, like if this, let's say, it got expanded to a feature, I would have really liked to have explored 
how the well um, affected each person differently. Uh, mm. Because we're working within the constraints of a short, it became a lot more about like the seduction of going to the well and how each person kind of dealt with that. Mm. But if I could expand on that idea, I definitely would have liked to have have had it um, like personalize the terror for each person, you know, for whatever that means as, as they each kind of fall victim to this thing. Mm. Um, but that to me was, was what I was trying to capture was us, if we as the viewer are watching these characters interact with the well at the bottom level of this facility, um, how, how does it affect them differently and what are they seeing that's, that's so seductive and that they just can't get away from this thing that's going to destroy them? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, if, if it does get expanded into a feature, those, that is a, those are certain elements that I'm going to explore a lot more. A little bit behind the scenes, I guess, in the shooting, like how how long did this thing take? What was some what were some challenges for it? Because I know, especially, we we've already kind of talked a little bit about horror, and we've also mentioned comedy, which seems so polar opposite. Until you think about like, well, no, those are two genres that really do rely on a a strong visceral reaction from people in order for it to be engaging. So when you're making a horror short, uh, I mean, it is it's short. You don't have uh, you know as many opportunities like okay well there's going to be a jump scare every 11 minutes because you only have 10 so right what was your focus when you're making the sense of like um you know and, and people who have watched this such as myself can can comment on it but what was your goal when you're making it in the sense of um trying to draw those people in and like what what you really wanted to focus on being a a, a visceral takeaway from people yeah I, I basically was hoping that um you know people felt that tonally it was it was creepy enough that they'd want to see more. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and I think it worked because when I, when I put it on, uh, like when it went on dust, uh, it seemed like a lot of people really enjoyed it. And the people that like were a little bit more come see, come saw, uh, just wanted more. So I guess that's like a good problem to have. Mm -hmm. And, um, so like just being able to expand again on on concepts and, and theories and, and being, being able to build up characters and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, for me to take away, or for what I would like them to take away from it is that, um, you know, uh, these the, when these four people find this this abandoned research facility, just just how how powerful and alluring this this uh, this artifact in the in the basement might be. Um, and uh, as 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 for the challenges that you asked about, um, like I said, I wrote it late December. Mm-hmm. We got approval. And we needed to deliver at the end of January. So, Oof. I mean, looking back, I'm like, I can't believe how how we got it done. But like, <laughs> we we shot the thing in three and a half days, like the sixth, the seventh, and I think like the thirteenth of January, with like a little pickup day, a little half pickup day, and we did the full edit, all the VFX and all the coloring and sound and everything. We delivered for January thirty first, wow. and that that film like got so much love. It was so great. It went to Dead North. It won some awards. Um, uh, a, curator from telefilm which is a, a, fi- a funding body here in canada mm-hmm. he was one of the judges at dead north and he programs this this uh well he, he programs a program called uh not short on talent at Cannes. so i got to go to Cannes film festival to screen it there mm-hmm. which was amazing and then um you know and then it kind of just hit a bunch of those genre film festivals so uh you know it's funny like i don't like retreading stuff that i've done mm-hmm. um so like once it first came out people are like are you gonna do it as a feature and i was like Maybe, but not yet. I want to do other stuff because I, I want it to be fresh and exciting for me too when I revisit this stuff, right? So um, so that that's something I, I do want to do. And I feel like out of all the projects that I could pitch moving forward, uh, that's kind of like my, my ace in the hole, I guess. Like I could probably fall back on that one and start pushing that one hard to try to get something going. Sure. So 
Yeah. And I, I appreciate that uh, your short, like a lot of the, some of the best Lovecrafting works kind of rely more on uh, imagination or the viewer's projection um, that, you know, there, there certainly is a scene where the guy, you know, kind of one of the characters dips his face in the water and we see him kind of break this plane, but we don't see what's there or what he's seeing. And whether or not that came from, listen, we've only got a certain amount of time and budget constraints, I'm, I find like, I don't really care because for me, what my mind fills in is always going to be more effective than what any filmmaker could possibly show me. Yeah, I, I you know what, I agree. I, I never intended to do it any way that was different from what you saw. For me, that was that was the shot. Like, we'll never see quite what he saw. And he doesn't really have a reaction that, that tells you one way or the other whether it's good or bad. I mean, we know that <laughs> it, it doesn't end up well for him. But uh, um, but I wanted to keep it mysterious like that. Because, like like we were talking about earlier, it's so hard to capture some of those Lovecraftian elements without just going like, you know, I think you guys have spoken about this in the past even, but just like, I mean, yeah, there's a few tentacles in this one, but you know, they're not, (laughs) but they're not, you know, they're not barreling down the tunnels and everyone's on the run. And, you know, so a lot of it comes down to more like that subtextual stuff that's going on just under the surface of the water and, and that kind of thing. And for a short, I think to get more ambitious to step beyond that would have been like inviting a lot more, uh, complexity and I think it would have like dragged it down mm-hmm. personally I mean I also appreciated just the uh, the homage to a uh, Pikmin's model of, of, of an excellent uh, short oh, story right. itself too the, the little Pikmin Derby thing in the initiative and, and then even even once I saw that title and then saw that this, this artifact that they find it's like that this could very well be a different adaptation or an adaptation taking Pikmin's model but in a in a different direction you know it's funny um I always kind of thought that this one, okay, again, this would be something only I would know, but one of my motivations for this film was if, if mountains of madness took place in Antarctic, Mm. uh, this would be like the Arctic version, like this would be the Arctic tale. So this is the other, the opposite polar story Mm -hmm. on the north. So, which, you know, in a, in a, an HP Lovecraft cinematic universe, which from what I understand, there's now kind of two that are going to be competing because we got Richard Stanley's, um, he's making his own stuff, but then I, I believe, uh, Barbara Crompton is involved in uh, one as an actress and producer of a separate one. So, but but I mean, I I do like that idea of why can't there be uh, uh, these dueling poles, both literally and figuratively, as an idea. But um, that might be something maybe in the future you can kind of insinuate yourself into that world. I think. Yeah, you know what? If I end up, do, let's say I, let's say I do actually make a feature of Echoes. There there are some things that like. Um, I feel like over the course of a 90-minute film, you're going to need something that's a little bit more uh, in your face, a little bit more pronounced, maybe to like, yeah. uh, you know, to be accessible to like a bit more of your audience. And I'm not opposed to that. So there are things that I think that would be happening surrounding the well as maybe it's getting stronger. It's it's got a few more, you know, it's it's, it's eaten its way through a few people, and and things can evolve and adapt. Mm-hmm. And as the viewer, you know, you can keep you can keep the viewer guessing, and there's new shit to explore as you go. Um, but, but it's funny you mentioned that other component because I always thought like if it does well, or even if I wanted to do like something for web down the road or something like that, there could always be this, like this different totem or artifact or something somewhere completely different with a completely different terror. Like it would, wouldn't even have to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. You could just use that to connect this world. So in almost building your own mythos, mm-hmm. you know, but and 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 so now now you've got this world that's interconnected, but you can do you can explore a brand new theme and a brand new type of horror all within the same realm, which would be very fun. Yeah, no, that would and, and certainly something that uh, Lovecraft and a lot of his the authors that he corresponded with did after his death, expanding on and adding their own things to the Cthulhu mythos, and and certainly 
whether you think that's a good or bad thing is a a different topic for a different day, but certainly the possibility exists. Um, right. Uh, you so you recently were uh, were at um, a couple of film festivals or two. Talk a little bit about that, your experience there, and and just anything and everything you want about that. Personally, I, I love going. To, I love to travel. Uh, <laughs> so this pandemic ain't treating me too well. But uh, <laughs> um, but at the time, like Echoes was great. I, I I think actually I just had finished wrapping my first feature film in early July. And then I kind of had this big run of, of festivals to go to. I got to go to Holly Shorts in L.A. in August. And then I went to uh, HP, the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, which was awesome. Got mm-hmm. to go to Portland. And then I went to Toronto for Toronto After Dark. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was a great run. And, you know, it's it's good because it's fun when you get to see uh, get to see your work on a big screen and uh, and chat with people. But it also is, is important, I think, as a filmmaker, because you're creating connections to other filmmakers and other people who might be interested in supporting your work down the road. And, um, I, I've met a lot of people that I, I'm still in communication with now, like on, you know, like little Facebook chat groups and stuff like that. We all kind of throw ideas each other's way and, ha- you know, have people just weigh in on it. And I think that's very valuable, um, uh, at, moving forward as a filmmaker. But, uh, yeah, it was really good. Like I said, that, that, uh, that film, you know, really treated me well. I'm I'm really proud of it. And uh, if I could do another one that, you know, gets as much love as that one, that would be good. I'm still pretty early in my career, so <laughs> I'd like to hope that <laughs> that's on the docket. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, even then, going through Holly Shorts, that's how Dust found the film. And they reached out, and now it's on YouTube. And, uh, you know, it's just that natural progression, right? You want that snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Well, and it yeah. seems like the snowball effect has started picking up a little bit for you because you also have a feature coming out, The Return, the, the trailer for which I've... We've also posted on the Facebook page in which we will post or, or is currently existing in the show notes. But um, how did that one come about as, as like an idea, as a story? What was the inspiration behind behind this, your first feature that you're doing now? Yeah. So um, in Canada, we uh, through Telefilm, there's this program called Talent to Watch. And um, so I feel like, uh, you know, that's a that's a fund that supports filmmakers that are kind of just on the verge of getting getting larger and more ambitious projects off the ground. So uh, that project was co-written uh, with a friend of mine named Ken Jansons. And uh, he was he was uh, like the story designer behind the, the project. And we came in and, uh, you know, wrote the project and whatnot. But uh, it starts as like a, cla- a classic haunted house kind of uh, haunting story. Mm-hmm. And as it progresses, it's it's like a, it's a sci-fi horror with a bit of a mystery element to it. Mm-hmm. And as as uh, details come to light, there's like a radical shift around the third act, which people have really seemed to like. <laughs> I should I don't I feel like I can't say much because um, you know, I'll give away too much. But uh, at, at uh, Horrible Imaginings, the festival that we made our world premiere at mm-hmm. um, early September, um, yeah, a lot of people seem to really enjoy the big the big reveal kind of around that two thirds mark. And uh, and the festival director and the team of jurors and whatnot really, really seem to like it. So maybe what we could do is, uh, you know, down the road, maybe in six, seven months or whatever, when when it's set for release, we can uh, if you want, we can we can dive in and. Oh chat, sure. Chat about it if you like. Yeah, no, that we we can we'll watch it and then we'll have the uh, we'll have the BJ Vero uh, running commentary track going for the second <laughs> time around. I think. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but, but uh, you... the synopsis is basically um, a brilliant college student comes home to deal with his dead father's affairs and discovers that um, an entity from his childhood has come back, and he sets out to discover why it's come back, and and that's what the film is about. Mm-hmm. Which and also anyone who's been following this podcast from the beginning, it sounds a lot like the summary for the film Cthulhu from two thousand seven. I'm not sure if you're ever aware of it, um, but right, I've uh, I've I'm familiar or I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. 
it's 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 somewhat similar. Um, a, a guy returns to his his childhood home to sort out um, some affairs uh, with his family, and then things gradually build from there. Which is um, funny that you mentioned it. It's kind of despite the fact that it's called Cthulhu, it's actually kind of more of an adaptation of the Shadow over Innsmouth, um, mm-hmm. in the sense of his role in the family line, et cetera, et cetera. Without spoiling yeah, yeah. too many things, but um, what, so you've done a bunch of shorts and you and you've uh, worked on a whole bunch of other things. But this being your first feature. Were you kind of surprised by uh, by any kind of the challenges or just kind of how different this is from making a short? Or were you just kind of like all the stuff you did had prepared you for this ultimate task? Yeah, I mean, with any film, I mean, it's hard enough to make a film on the under the best circumstances. And uh, obviously, you know, budget, you're always I'm always striving to do stuff that's more ambitious than than my previous project. I'm always looking to challenge like none of my films have been a cakewalk because I I, I choose to keep trying things that will challenge me and make things difficult especially when I was doing shorts. And I think that really did help pave the way for my first feature because I'd taken on so many different things, so many different obstacles head on that it really did help make the first feature um, uh, easier to, to tackle. I mean, but that being said, uh, you know, again, it wasn't a huge budget, but I think the film really does reflect strongly. I think it, it looks like it's got a bigger budget than it did, which is good. It had a lot of VFX as well, which kind of slowed down our post-production process a little bit. Mm. Um, but... Uh, yeah, you know what? To, truth be told, I feel really lucky. Like the the production itself was really fun. Our lead, or rather, our leads were all great. Like Richard, Echo, Sarah, they were all they were all amazing. And um, yeah, we had some big days. But uh, yeah, we were able to take it on. And there was, n- I, I'm trying to think if there was like any one thing where, uh, like, we kind of got derailed. But like, it was pretty good. Like we had one day that was like 14 hours, and it was feeling pretty long. But I mean, <laughs> everything else we we managed to do pretty well on. Mm-hmm. Being a, a filmmaker and specifically a genre filmmaker, I'm sure there's so many different directors and films that have inspired you, whether consciously or subconsciously. I'm curious as to taking part in like your or, or making your first feature, how how those influences come into play? Is there ever stuff where it's sort of like, I'm going to use this shot to homage this movie? Or do you find that it's more just kind of a someone will point out, oh, I was really reminded of this when you, when this shot happened. You're like, oh, yeah, OK. I mean, I didn't intend that, but that's cool. Yeah. Um you know it's funny because like a lot of films that i have done there is definitely like uh you know a subtextual homage that i'm like yeah I'm, this is this feels very cronenberg or this feels very like neil marshall or something like that right mm-hmm. but in this one um i didn't feel like there was as much uh other director inspired stuff going on which is which is weird because uh on a lot of other projects that i've done I can feel I can feel the the energy of my forefathers pushing me forward, <laughs> um, but there are definitely some homages in it. But the the main one that I'm thinking of, I, I can't reveal it. Uh, I'll have to save it for for the follow up, <laughs> or I can tell I can tell you after we after sure, we sure yeah uh, all right got it. But um, but uh, yeah no it's it's uh, there's a lot of directors that I really enjoy and actually I just mentioned mentioned Neil Marshall and uh, his. Uh, our film, uh, The Return, was selected for Film Quest, which is like a pretty awesome film festival to be involved with. I was really pumped about that. Mm-hmm. And one of the other 11 selections was Neil Marshall's new movie, The Reckoning. So I was like, oh, so that's amazing. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in some good company. So that was really cool to see. Actually, and that was the first festival that we found out we had gotten into as well. But mm-hmm. they've pushed it to April in hopes that we might be able to do a live brick-and-mortar festival. Oh, so yeah. that still remains to be seen. But um, – but nonetheless, I was very, very honored to be included with a very, a very amazing list of films for FilmQuest. Oh, certainly. And, and we, we did talk to, to uh, Gwen and Brian, the, the co-directors of the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. They hit uh, upon a little bit about just 
the challenges that people face now, I mean, having a film in a film festival in a pandemic, what sort of stuff have you seen um, that, that has been a, a real big change? Well, like I said, I like going to the festival so that I can meet other filmmakers, potential producer allies down the road, financiers. Uh, I've met uh, people at uh, – um, like broadcasters, like, you know, dust is an online dis distributor broadcaster type that sure. picked it up. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's, there's a lot to be said for that, that face-to-face -face experience, but having screened our film at horrible imaginings, uh, a guy named Miguel Rodriguez is the festival director and yeah, he was amazing. I mean, there's so much more hustle that needs to be going on, on an, like an administrative technical level where they have a whole virtual festival. Um, so we did a lot of like zoom calls and Q and A's and all that kind of stuff. We obviously did one for our film after we screened it and it was really cool to like connect with people in the comments, uh, of the Q and A of like the zoom call and whatnot. Sure. Um, but I would say the one thing that we were lacking is just being there. Right. And just being able to like very organically reach out to someone or if you're like, Hey, that's that guy. I really liked his movie and he's from this place. I'd love to talk about how he got his funding. And cause for me, I mean, for as much as I like being a creative, I'm also a producer and I'm always looking at different ways I can structure my films because I, I want to make another movie, <laughs> sure. right? So, you know, it's always good to be talking strategy. And if you're there with a captive audience, you can all be talking about this stuff into the wee hours of the night. And, you know, so I guess the one thing I guess that a virtual fest is facing as a challenge is a little bit of Zoom fatigue and just accessibility. You can't just immediately get to someone across a room and, and talk to them face to face. Sure. Yeah. You were talking about the snowball effect, and certainly your your career seems to be moving in the direction that you always wanted it to move in when you were five or six years old. Um, let's say uh, you know the return is a hit, uh, or echoes in the ice, and everything just kind of kicks you off. Like if it so happens that your that your career sends you down the path of B.J. Vero, oh yeah, that's the horror guy, and you kind of get put in that box. Is that going to be a problem? Is that going to be a problem for you, or like no, I, I love so, it, man. You know. Uh, the way I—that's a great question, actually. And uh, to be honest, I, I guess I'll answer it like this: When I was a kid, like when we were, when you and I were children, I guarantee there were different filmmakers or different films that you're like, "Oh, this is this guy's next movie," or he made this. And if other people feel that way about the work that I'm doing, mm -hmm. that would be amazing. So, I mean, if if I just get you know pigeonholed as the horror guy, but but ultimately I connect to an audience that really loves what I'm doing, and I love what I'm doing, and we can all just enjoy it together. That's that's fine. I'm I'm happy with that. And I'm also pretty like you know, even if I get pegged as maybe like the horror guy or or like the sci-fi horror guy, whatever. I'm 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 going to slip a little extra action goodies in there anyway or or whatever the case is. I'm going to find <laughs> ways to you know, keep suturing it along as I go. Right. Yeah, cuz I, I it's funny you mentioned Neil Marshall. Now, I'll say this um uh Doomsday I didn't see, but I remember seeing The Descent in the theaters and like Knew, knowing nothing about it caught me by surprise. I loved it. I went back and saw Dog Soldiers. And so yeah, then, yeah, yeah. W w with not seeing Doomsday, then the thing after that I saw after that was Centurion. I was kind of like, oh, this this wasn't what I was expecting from this guy. But also, like, but but that's the film he wanted to make. It's not the film that you wanted, but that's yeah, what he wanted exactly. to do. Yeah, and I think that's important, too. Like, for me as a filmmaker, like, uh, you know, I have a slate of about six to eight features right now that um, I've been talking to some people about. And, um, I mean, sometimes you want to go with the path to least resistance where you're like, okay, cool, we'll make this one and it'll be great. But they're all very, very different. Like, mm -hmm. uh, one is kind of like a home invasion thriller and one is like just kind of out-and-out post-apoc like action. And uh, they, they both sound amazing to me in my head. So, <laughs> you know, first come, first serve as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, you know, if someone goes, hey, you did a horror, let's do another horror. Yeah, I, I mean, it'd be hard to say no. I mean, and, and since uh, your career so far has been um, 
making stuff that you have also been primarily involved in it as like a creative force are you also open to the idea of like listen you had no hand in the script but someone brought it to you and like yeah cool i'll make someone else's story yeah i think so i think i'd be open to that to that because um to do like the writing the producing and the directing on a project it's it's pretty grueling (laughs) you know it's a slow process and it takes a lot of time and um, if it gets to a point where I just like, you know, have an agent and I can be a hired gun and go shoot something for like Sci-Fi Network or something like that, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I'll, I'll take that cash. I'll, I'll make it look great. Like, uh, you know, I would be really thrilled to take something on where I could just keep throwing stuff at them till they say no, no, we don't have the budget for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, because that's their that's on them now to figure out like what we have the money for. So uh, mm-hmm. absolutely, if someone had a great script and, um, yeah, I'd be I'd be totally in on on uh, helping bring someone else's project to life. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I guess if there's any young uh, potential upcoming filmmakers listening, uh, my my wife works in a in administration in a film school. And, mm. um, you know, she she tries to tell kids all the time, you know, like uh, Karen Kusama, who is a, a director for, you know, The Invitation um, and Flux and a bunch of other stuff, uh, makes most of her money doing, you know, TV for higher stuff, Chicago Fire, that kind of stuff. And it's like, mm. this is the stuff I do to make money so that I can fund these things that I really want to do. Um, it's the, you know, the, the one for them, one for me kind of mentality. And it's a, it's, it's what most filmmakers kind of have to do. Yeah. I mean, the, the nice thing about that is, is, um, I mean, if you can get to a position where you can be doing some for hire work, uh, and, and you enjoy it, then, uh, I mean, you're, all you're doing is you're just ensuring your longevity as a director <laughs> and with each credit that you get, the more bankable you get, right? Because they go, look, I mean, every movie is a gamble, right? Like it could be a runaway hit or it could be like a movie that just didn't quite, didn't quite resonate with, with its audience. But but at the end of the day, if you're a director that can create something with craft and and have a certain style to it that, you know, people can recognize whether it was wildly successful or not, that you can make a movie mm. like that's you've now already just put yourself in like that top three percent of all filmmakers because they go, OK, he's done two and, and they look like movies and they make <laughs> sense and they're coherent and the coverage works, and, you know, and it all just comes together. So you, you're already you're already having a huge leg up on the situation. Mm-hmm. So the the last question that I'll that I'll have for you before we sign off, um, let's say um, someone from Netflix approaches you, BJ. Here's a blank check. Make whatever thing you want to do. You get full creative control, final edit. What story does BJ Vareau make? Is it is it something like I've got this thing brewing in my head, or uh, or would you be the one who finally brought at the Mountains of Madness to the big screen? Oh man, yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. Ah, uh, yeah, that would that would be tough to turn down. I mean, okay, if it was carte blanche, I I might go try to use Guillermo's script so that I could like tether him to the project and then, and then just ride that baby in onto onto the Netflix uh, digital streams. But um, I you know it's funny in university I had this idea, um, for and I shot it as like my oh man this is ages ago too. But like uh, I shot this film called Haven. It was like my short film mm-hmm. film two like thesis project I guess you could say, and it basically followed these three guys in a bomb shelter and. Uh, I was like, I don't know, 10, about 10, 10, 11 years ago. Mm. And, uh, I feel like there's enough there. I, 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 it's, it's been a decade and I'm still cultivating ideas where it's like this, this, uh, community of bomb shelters all working together and each, each bomb shelter is kind of dealing with its own unique set of challenges. So there's a bit of like a character dynamic. There's external forces that are antagonistic. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on and that might be the one that I would chase. I have my, Here's the thing. I have my eyes on an, a, a real life IP right now, so mm. I can't say what it is okay. because that's just going to spark everyone else to be like, "Hey, maybe that thing is good." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
but I, I might legitimately make a play at it in the next year or two. And if it does, I'll you'll be the first person I tell. I promise. <laughs> this is not BJ's way of saying that uh, that he's attached to uh, Marvel Phase Four by any stretch of the imagination. But, <laughs> that's um, right. That's right. Moon Knight's coming your way. So. <laughs> Moon Knight or it might be Greenlit, but uh, I, I think but yeah. I'm, actually, I love the B listers for the comic books. Anyways, B and D listers, bring them my way. I, sure. I'd love to explore that. I mean, uh, if someone wants to try and bring a, a slapstick to the big screen, I, I'd be I'd be all about that. Um, but um, no, cool. So and it's funny because my my answer years ago would have been the color out of space, and then Richard Stanley came along and like, well, no need for that now. That's 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 pretty much done. So yeah, you know what? I felt like that about Conan the Barbarian. Mm. Like, so if you had asked me that like five ten years ago, I'd been like Conan for sure. I would do an awesome Conan the Barbarian. But like, I feel like I love the old one so much, and then they did that one with Jason Momoa. <laughs> I just feel like that that IP needs to cool and simmer right now for for sure. a little while longer before you can bring it back to light and and make it something truly amazing again. So mm-hmm. that one was too Hollywood gloss, and uh, I don't think it quite achieved what it wanted to. But yeah, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, BJ, if uh, if people have um, whether they have or have not checked out your film stuff yet, um, where can people find more of your stuff and just keep an eye on what you're doing um, for the future? Yeah, I'm easy to find. It's just my name, BJ Vero. Uh, and I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm, a, I'm mostly I'm most active on Instagram, but I, I can be reached on either Twitter or Instagram. Um, Strata Studios is is the name of my company that I run with my business partner Brad Crawford on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So you can you can find us there too. But uh, I, I think Instagram or Twitter probably be the the easiest way to follow me specifically if that's of interest. So um, easiest way to get in touch with us, of course, you can email us at a uh, moviesofmadness at gmail um castacthulu.podbean.com for all of our episodes but of course you can find us anywhere you get your your uh podcasts itunes podbean google play we're on spotify now so hooray for that um cast cthulhu on twitter and then facebook.com slash cast of cthulhu as well and if you enjoy this conversation so much uh listener uh don't despair bj will be back joining us um shortly to discuss um paul ws anderson's event horizon we kind of teased that out a little bit we can confirm that is happening now um full disclosure it was supposed to happen today but james uh being uh predisposed we figured it'd be a a better conversation and um and wanted to ensure that there was a little bit more let's say uh positivity towards it because bj just haven't (laughs) just haven't met you for the first time i didn't want to be like hey let me tell you all the things i don't like about this movie that you suggested (laughs) So. You know, it's funny. I, I know that you're you're not a fan of it. Um, personally, there's a lot of nostalgia in Event Horizon for me. So, sure. I, I luckily we have you outnumbered. Um, I guess <laughs> I think you said I think you said he's he's more more of a proponent for Event Horizon, right? Yeah, he uh, James is a bit more of a fan. Though, though I will say, as a uh, you know, a little bit of a teaser for the next one uh, for the next episode. Um, I don't. I, I did not uh, dislike it as much as I remember disliking it. So I have a little bit more of an appreciation for it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, I went into this the second doing thing like I hated this movie, and I came out like, eh, didn't hate that, with <laughs> with some caveats. But we'll, that that's yeah, certainly that's that's fair. I think that's a very very fair assessment. Uh, you know, as a as a cold open for that on the on a, on an episode to be aired later. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, uh, listeners certainly um, stay tuned for that. This should be coming to you shortly. So, uh, BJ, thanks a lot for for joining us, and we'll 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 see you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. This was great. Uh, I really appreciate it.